Little known fact, I am a diaconal minister in the United Methodist Church. Not diagonal. <laughs> Although I feel like I'm on tilt most, most days. But diaconal comes from the word diaconia, to serve or servant. It used to be an official role for people who sensed God's call on their life into full-time Christian ministry as lay people. The United Methodist Church isn't making them anymore, so I am slowly going the way of the buffalo. Traditionally, the diagonal role focused on love, justice, and service. Our stoles cross over our shoulders like a towel to throw over your shoulder to remind us of the passage that Dr. Siemens preached from yesterday, John 13, where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. At our consecration ceremony, we are given a handmade basin, pitcher, and towel. It's a symbol of our commitment to servanthood. It's a beautiful, messy, multifaceted reality. So I decided to wear my robe and stole for two reasons today. One, I love visual aids. Two, I could not for the life of me decide what to wear today. And you're thinking, this is great. This is where you are in your, in your journey, Ellen. Yes, this is where I am. I'm freaking out of my closet saying, I don't have anything cute to wear to a chapel about servanthood. I told you it was messy. This morning's song, liturgy, and scripture gave consistent testimony about us as human beings and about the one true God. Our condition, we're as needy as the day is long. We're captive to so many things. We're forgiven and free to praise God, even with broken hearts. Song, liturgy, and scripture also testify that God is a chain breaker, approachable, and worthy of our praise. In particular, the scriptures read for us today reveal a noticing God. We worship a noticing God. The Lord Almighty sees us. The creator of the universe hears us. Throughout the biblical narrative, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit pay attention to some of the most unlikely people on the planet. So how does God's habit of noticing relate to our life of servanthood to which we are all called? That's the question I'm pondering this morning. Will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, truth divine, 
dawn upon this soul of mine. Word of God and inward light, wake our spirits, clear our sight. Amen. So one of the assumptions I bring to Scripture is that the nature of Jesus revealed in the Gospels will be reflected in the nature of God throughout the entire biblical narrative. While we're focusing on the Savior-servant this morning, we begin exploring in the Old Testament. And we don't have to travel too far into Genesis before we hear a powerful testimony from a woman who is treated more like a piece of property than a human being, Hagar. She's a female slave. That makes her all but invisible. In desperation, she runs away, and later she's sent away from Abraham and Sarah's community. Genesis 16 and 21 show Hagar in the desert, ready to die. Until. Until God notices her. He engages Hagar, advises her. He saves her. After which, this culturally expendable human being gives God a poignant and telling name, the God who sees me. What do you think of that? How tender is that? The God who sees me, proclaimed from a person that nobody who is anybody has ever seen. The gleaning law in Leviticus 19 reveals God's continued awareness of and concern for people who are down on their luck, people who are alone and vulnerable. So God creates a law for people, and rather than return to their fields to gather in a basket the extra fruit, vegetables, and grain that they didn't catch the first time they went through the harvest, they're to leave it there for strangers passing through, sojourners and foreigners, people who don't show up on anybody's radar or in anybody's family tree. God's people farm with the vulnerable in mind. This is more than a servant mindset. This is a servant lifestyle that's woven into agricultural practices. God sees and has compassion on nameless people that the world disregards. And in turn, the people of God embody God's compassion in their daily living. We do know the name of one of the displaced people who benefited from this system. It's Ruth. And at this point, we bump into another example of how the nature of God is lived out by the people of God, the kinsman redeemer. 
Boaz becomes aware of his connection to Ruth's mother-in-law. He steps in and embodies God's care. So God sets up systems for widows and orphans for the lonely to be placed in families. In Isaiah 42, God inspires the prophet to describe the servant of the Lord as one who pays painstakingly close attention to people who have experienced harm in some way. This servant isn't distant. He's deeply personal. He's keenly aware of people's scars, of their chains, their deafness, their blindness. Nothing distracts the servant of the Lord from noticing. Bruised reeds and smoldering candles, who sees those? I'm so distracted with my own issues, I I don't even see the person in front of me at lunch, let alone remember our conversation an hour later. What is our Savior's servant modeling for us to be described by Isaiah in such a way? Ezra and Nehemiah involve the entire faith community in noticing whether or not people have the means to celebrate the restoration of Jerusalem. In Nehemiah 8, the leaders instruct the people to share out of their abundance so that everyone can feast and rejoice in God's faithfulness. Like father, like son. Jesus keeps the servanthood lessons alive by taking seriously people who have been shoved to the very edges of society. He notices and acknowledges women and men who have come to the end of their ropes. A widow whose son has died. A woman who is not invited to the let's meet at the well club. A father who's desperate for his son's life. A tax collector who uses uneven scales at work and cheats people out of the little that they do have. Jesus serves society's nobodies by seeing them touching them, by answering their cries for help, by asking them thoughtful questions, by listening to their answers. Paying attention to people might just be one of the hardest things that Jesus could ask of us these days. We have to slow our frenetic pace We have to look up from or put aside our devices. We need to glance around and see the children. The testimony is clear and consistent. We worship a noticing God who calls us to be a noticing people. Perhaps 
Perhaps being awake is the first step toward a life of servanthood. These folks mentioned this morning didn't make it onto anybody's guest list. No one set a place for them at their table. But there is a table for them, and what a table it is. Host and servant, Jesus meets helpless, selfish, disillusioned, rude, well-meaning, powerless to change themselves people, people like us. Today, we experience Jesus' sacrificial noticing and serving, both as gift and as an example to follow. It's the messy, beautiful example of servanthood. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.